Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochilillo, and today we have Julia Wesley. Uh, she has a website called Divine Realignment, and I know she does like Akashic Record readings and some realignment, which I'm not sure what that is, but I'm sure we'll <laughs> find out. Uh, thanks for coming on my podcast today. Thank you so much for having me on. It's so, like, fun to be here. Thank you. Great. Um, so, you know, like, one of the things, like, I was reading, going through your website, and, you know, you said you were talking about, like, sort of, like, looking for people um, to give you the answers or that have the answers, and then you <laughs> found a way to, that you, or you found at least that you had to find the answers yourself. Yes. that you're searching for rather than turning to outside sources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, the alignment that I was talking about is I do soul blueprint alignments. And so a, the point of the soul blueprint alignment is to get you back to where you're like self-referencing. Every time that you're looking for an answer outside of yourself, you're giving your own power and permission away to some outside authority to basically give you permission to do what you already know that you want or that you can do. So um, when you, I think you're probably looking at my bio, when you look at my bio, a lot of my story is about sort of like coming into my own power, mm -hmm. leaving myself really. And um, part of how I did that was to sort of like delve into spirituality and meditation and consciousness and figure out that I'm, I'm really who I'm looking for. Very interesting. Um, so who are you? <laughs> um, I am who did Julia you Wesley. Find? <laughs> I am, yeah, right. What a question. The, the million dollar question. So it's, it's interesting. When I first got into this work, um, I guess I sort of defined myself as my career, right? Like I was someone who really defined myself based off what I did. Like I defined myself uh, off of outside sources. And so when I started doing this work and I figured out that I have guides who I can ask for answers and I was like, okay, great. Tell me who I am. Tell me what I'm here to be. And what they would do is they would just tell me like qualities of who I am. They're like, well, you really like to um, explore things. You love mysteries. You love teaching. And I'm like, that's not really what I was looking for. So in order to sort of figure out who you are, you really have to get into those like little identifiers of what do you love to do, right? So I guess you could define me as uh, like a lover of mystery. And I like to call myself a spiritual practitioner. It sort of covers all my bases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but how, how did you find out that you are you? <laughs> do you mean in like a consciousness sense? In or, any sense. Um, even in, like, honestly, like there's no actual solid evidence, for example, that even mm -hmm. I exist. Right. I, I think I exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's about yeah. it. That's kind of like where it stops. Right? 
Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's the whole, I think, therefore I am thing. And if you get into meditation, like I really got into meditation. I, I use that to deal with sort of like mental health issues. I, you get to a point where you sort of feel like you touch everything and you sort of, you realize that you're not exactly the individual that you thought you were. Um, and that I think is kind of exciting, right? So it, it does bring into question, like, who even am I? Should I be overly attached to this identity of who I am? Um, and maybe I've got my identity wrong. You know, and I, I, I run into, in my line of work, a lot of the times I run into people who have like no clue who they are and are just living who they think that they should be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it brings me back to that, 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 that question. Like when I ask myself, who am yeah. I? Who's even asking that question? Yeah. You know, beyond that point, there has to be, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know who's asking that question mm-hmm. and I don't even know why. Yeah. This is like a really like deep sort of Buddhist kind of thought kind of a question where if you take a moment and you get into the observer position, this is really something that you can do when, when you're doing meditation and you stop focusing on everything outside of you and you just pay attention to everything that like you're feeling. And then eventually you sort of get to a point where your thoughts run out and there's like a space in between two thoughts where there seems to be really nothing going on. And then the, the more that you pay attention to that nothing, the more that you figure out that you're finally actually present with everything that is. And when you get into that space, what you sort of, what you find is that everything else is what is fake. That doesn't mean to say that it doesn't have any value, but it's, it's an experience that you are creating rather than something that is what is always there, right? And so what's that thing that's always there? For me, it's consciousness. It's like, you're finally touching God. You're touching creation. You're touching mm-hmm. the divine. And I think it's important to note that you can really only get there by going through the self. And it seems contradictory, but because you are a source of divine, you're like a little fractal of the divine. You're able to use yourself to realize God. So that's who I think we are. I think that we're all God. So what type of meditation practice do you use to to come to this point? I personally, when I started going into it, I was just doing pure presence meditation where I was really focused on being in the present moment. I think a lot of the times is, especially, well, humans, at what we tend to do is we tend to disassociate from what's going on or around us and particularly inside of us. Like we don't like to really experience um, unpleasant emotions, even sometimes emotions that are too pleasant, we tend to disassociate from them because we don't know how to like incorporate them, interact with them, whatever. And so we're never really where we are, right? So that's normally what I recommend is I, I recommend people just focus coming back to what's happening in you at this very second. Even if it's like a bunch of mind chatter, that's cool. Just be with it. But that's what that's what I did in the beginning to to find what that spot was. Um. So so is that like a, a 
like a shamatha vipassana type of meditation? I've always heard it called pure presence or pure consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just basically going back to you. So there is a meditation called nothing here, but you, and I think it's by um, Moji and he's a, he's a spiritual leader and he leads this meditation where it's basically just helping you unidentify with everything that's not you. So he takes you through this process of helping you observe, right? So you observe your thoughts, Mm -hmm. you observe your emotions, you observe um, what you may be seeing in your mind, but you don't attach any sort of identification or meaning to it. You just allow it to go past you without trying to grab onto it and identify with it in some way. So that's how I've heard it. I'm not sure if you could call it that other meditation that you were calling it. It's similar, I guess. It? I mean, okay. it, except uh, in, in forms of meditation that, that, that I'm familiar with, Mm-hmm. There is no I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so where does it go from there? So, so you sit down, you become aware of your thoughts. You, you, you are no longer engaging with them, and you realize that you're just an observer. Um, but even at that point, you know, how, you know, you don't know if your thoughts are some. I mean, you don't know what's real and what's really just in your mind. Um, so, so I guess you just kind of like let it all go mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of stay with whatever you think yourself is. Um, yeah. like what happens next? It's, it's a really interesting question. I think a lot of the times we do get to that spot where we're, we think that, it, oh, as long as we can like touch the infinite, then we're done. We're good. Right. But life goes on beyond that. So I, there is this quote that says, I'm I'm butchering it, but basically the idea is before enlightenment, you have to fold the laundry and take out the trash. And then after enlightenment, you still have to fold the laundry and take out the trash, right? So it's, it's not just the goal of, can I touch the divine? Can I touch this pure presence consciousness? But can I take it with me going forward? And I think that once you do finally touch that spot, you have to figure, a, figure out how to integrate it into your life. And I think all it really does is it gives you perspective on what's important and what is it, what isn't. Because as humans, we have a tendency to place a lot of heavy emphasis on outside forces and think that nothing is changeable mm-hmm. when of course everything is. So that's that. I think that's what's next after it is that realizing that life is still life, but you can just engage with it in a different way. So when you do this and you connect with some type of higher source, mm-hmm. what do you experience? Like, 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 do you go, do you see like God sitting on a throne? Is <laughs> it some type of cosmic experience where you're, you mm-hmm. know, just experience, like, you know, you realize like, like you're nothing but stardust and has some kind of crazy cosmic thing happen. Yeah. Um, or is it just a, a feeling of, of peace and centeredness? Like, mm-hmm. how does a person know, or how do you know individually that you've made some type of divine connection? So, 
here's what I teach people when come, when people come to me and they want to figure out how to forge their own divine connection. One of the important steps is to realize that you are divine, right? You, you are a little piece of the divine pretending to be something other than the divine, right? So when you're trying to have a spiritual experience, so to say, what you have to do is, is to realize that you can access the divine through you, like you are the tool, you are the oracle, right? So when I have my own experience, I'm normally going into a semi like meditative state where I'm sort of like going in and out of, I guess, you know, alpha and beta brain states. And I am um, communing with guides who are giving me information. And it's not something that's always clairvoyant. Sometimes it's really um, clairsentient or claircognizant where I'm getting this information. Sometimes it's even channeling and it's not always bombastic. You know, I think when you're first opening up to spirituality, you really expect it to be bombastic all the time. And definitely people have that experience. I've had my own experiences where it was sort of like wild and crazy. What was it like? Tell me about this. It was, yeah. So it was sort of shocking, of course, to realize that there's more out there than what you can touch and that you can see, you know, I remember, um, so I had like a series of sort of like failed spiritual awakenings, which for anyone else would have been enough for them to be like, okay, I need to figure out what that is. But the one that finally took for me was I was sitting on my couch. I was in meditation for some reason. I I accidentally got a message for my grandmother, like for her to pass along to her. And then one of her guides walked up to me. I saw this in my mind's eye. And then he flicked me on the forehead and I actually felt it. Like I could feel the flick and I opened up my eyes and I was like, what the heck was that? And um, in front of me, I saw sort of like this uh, floating, I guess, pinprick of light for a better lack of, of a word. And I recognized it as a guide. It was like a really concentrated source of consciousness. Um, sort of like a, like a black hole kind of magnetism. And that freaked me out enough to be like, what's going on? <laughs> what's happening? Um, sometimes uh, you do have really sort of like vast visions of something that's happening, but a lot of the times uh, the information that you need is rather subtle. Hmm. Um, yeah. So ha- have you ever um, looked into the mind of God? Oh, that's interesting. How would you define God when you, are you saying like, have you ever looked into the mind of the all or do you have a specific paradigm in mind when you say God? No. No. Okay. So how would I define the mind of God? Um, it's interesting. I suppose you could say that the mind of God is sort of like the Akashic records. I do work in the Akashic records. So I guess in some respect that you could say it's like that. To me, I suppose, looking into the mind of God, if you were to say the mind is the place that holds all of the knowledge, you can experience it as something that looks like sort of a hall of records, or you can just feel it as something that feels sort of like a download of knowledge. Um, At the same time, I do think that when you feel as if you touch God or you experience the mind of God, you you feel as if you're at once yourself, but still connected to everything. 
Um, you might like this. I, I remember one of my very first experiences with meditation. I was still like not, I didn't really believe it, but I was willing to try it and I was willing to see where it could take me. And I, I did that nothing here, but you meditation. And I'd always heard about people who were able to get into meditation and to, um, lose time. Right. And, and to just be like, Oh, well, I, I sat underneath a Bodhi tree and then like two weeks passed by. And I was like, what is that like? How is that possible? And I did that meditation. And to me, I thought 15 or 20 minutes had gone by. But when I exited my meditation, 40 minutes had gone by. And being in that weird little time space, it really did feel like you were kind of floating in a sea of bliss just because you were being present with consciousness. So I guess that can be what it's like to touch the mind of God. Sounds kind of groovy. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, so with the Akashic Records readings, see, see, like, like for me, when I think of, you know, I've done a little bit of reading on the Akashic Records and Edgar Cayce and, and I've even tried some things to access it myself. And I don't mm -hmm. know if I've been successful or not. Um, yeah. like, like to me, that's like reading energy fields, fields of energy, like, like everything, all, all knowledge, everything that's happening ever will happen is somehow stored in a DNA of the energy that, that, that makes up what appears to be reality. Mm -hmm. Um, would would you consider that perspective correct or would you have a, a different take on it? I think it's definitely a valid perspective. I can tell you the way that I typically experience the Akashic Records is when I, when I go in, I don't necessarily tend to bother myself with everything that's in there. So um, I work with an intermediary. I work with a guide and I ask them to pull a record of a specific person that I'm working with. And then I'll ask for specific information um, what was, what's the makeup of their soul? Like what energies and frequencies went into creating them? What are their, what are they trained in? You know, what, are, what do they specialize in? And that is sort of how I interact with the Akashic records. I do recognize the Akashic records as a dimension, mm -hmm. as something that holds the energetic imprint of everything. Right. And it's a running tally of what's going on. So like you, Gary, you are writing your record as you live, you know, so you can edit it at any time. You can go back and say, I'm not sure I want that. I'm going to strike that from the record. I'm going to heal it. Or you can go forward and say, okay, I will, I want to change the trajectory and I, I want to move this way. And so the Akashic records are cool because not only are we talking about consciousness, we also sort of get into the idea of timelines. So it's, it's interesting to in that respect, I would say that all um, experiences of the Akash are valid because you are a, a specific lens of how you're going to, you know, interact with the universe and what it looks like and seems like to you. I've talked to people who access the Akashic records by um, entering a different star system in their mind. I've talked to people who enter the Akashic records by uh, mentally going into an ocean and then seeing it that way. Um, 
so it, it's what's beautiful about it is that it's so individual. And because you are also a little bit of like pure consciousness, you have the ability to create what it is that you're looking for. So that's something to keep in mind. Is that, is like going into the Akash something that like really calls to you? Oh, me? Yeah. Actually, I was just going to ask you hmm. if you could take a peek into my Akashic record. Well, what kind of information are you looking for? There's so much information there. Are you looking specifically as to how you can um, evolve your spiritual connection to it? Yes. Okay. I thought so. Um, so it's very much, so you're big and deep into consciousness, right? And I also get the sense that you're probably primarily uh, claircognizant. So you get a sense and a feel and a knowing for how things are. And so they want you to know that when you think you are connected to the Akash, you are. So basically all you need to do is validate it for yourself. You have this habit of, um, undervaluing the experiences that you have. And so to just know that, uh, the idea of as it, you know, and, um, and so it is that you can affirm it and, and like validate it for yourself. And then you're there. It doesn't always need to be like a sort of, um, mystical, um, protocol heavy process. It can just be an intention to be there and then boom, you're there. So they are just trying to affirm that for you. So if we're talking about um, expansion in your spirituality and your consciousness, it's to let you know that you're already there. You don't have to keep striving. Mm -hmm. um, as soon as you accept that for yourself, I think you'll start having those kind of like bombastic, really powerful, really beautiful experiences that you're looking for. Have I already looked into or experienced the inside of the mind of God? Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, I think what you have is a sort of interesting perspective of what the mind of God is, mm -hmm. almost as if it's sort of almost like a hive mind in a way, or if it should be more expansive and more global than what you feel you're connecting into. But the idea is that they want to remind you that you are also God. So anytime that you connect into your mind, you are touching God. That's, that's a God mind. Um, and so the, it gives you this interesting juxtaposition between what you think that you should be experiencing versus the validity of the experience that you're already having. And so as soon as you let go of the idea of how it is supposed to be and how you think it should be, and you start validating the experience that you're already having, then you'll realize you've been there the whole time. Is God insane? Is God insane? I saw that episode that you had and I was like, that's a really interesting question. <laughs> I think what, when people, um, experience God, I think in particular, sometimes when they, when they take, um, like a, like a, uh, plant medicine or a psychedelic and they uh, like experience God and they sort of are like thrown off by like really how psychedelic it is and how much creation happens. And it seems like mad. It seems crazy. Right. But that is the joy and the ecstasy of like literal creation. 
I don't know if it's insane, but I think from our perspective, our little, our human really um, limited perspective where we can't necessarily hold that all in our minds at the same time, if you're coming from the ego perspective, then it probably does seem crazy. Mm-hmm. See, the reason I asked that question, and actually like me and that, that interviewer, guy that I interviewed about that, mm-hmm. we, we had something in common. Like we, I mean, we both obviously have taken a lot of drugs, but mm-hmm. but my experience came from a, a seizure where I had a seizure, oh. and, and all of a sudden I was just like inside this crazy psychedelic spinning vortex. Yeah. And it was like the coolest thing I ever seen. And I never uh-huh. really thought about what it was until I interviewed him. Mm-hmm. And, and he could, he described something similar. And he's like, yeah, like, like God's just insane. And, <laughs> and, and, I, and I thought about that compared to my own experience. I was like, yeah. I think he's right. I, I, I think God mm-hmm. does not know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. It's just creating and creating and creating, trying to understand why it exists. Yeah, I completely, I, I totally think that that perspective is, is valid. I think that the point of being human, right? The point of creation is the universe trying to understand itself in so many different ways, right? That's That's why humans are all individuals. That's why no two plants of the same species are the same. It's the universe trying to understand itself because it's, it's literally everything, right? It's infinite. It's, it's hard to conceive because we are one thing, but the universe, because it's undefined, it, it can be and do anything, right? So it keeps creating and it keeps trying to create reflections of itself so that it keep, it can keep expanding and keep trying to understand who it is and what it is, right? If we didn't have access to a mirror, we would never know what we look like. We probably would never um, have identifiers on who we are based on what we look like. You know, we could see other people, but we wouldn't necessarily know that we're all that different from them really, if we weren't able to to take a look at ourselves that way. So I think the universe creates in an attempt to use um, individuality as a mirror. Yeah, that's what kind of what I think too. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a madness to it too, an unpredictability and something yeah. really strange. Um, you know, like like the idea of like the Akashic Records, you know, I picture mm-hmm. like a library where everything's in order. Yeah. And neatly organized and filed away. And there's a, a card index somewhere and you go and pull the card <laughs> and you go and find the book and then you mm-hmm. open up to the page and then you find the paragraph and then you find the <laughs> sentence. Right. That seems like a really organized process mm-hmm. for something that's just spiraling out of control. I think what might be interesting to keep in mind is that because God is literally everything, when you connected in with um, God in that way, you may have been seeing one aspect of it. It reminds me of um, Hindu gods and goddesses where they um, teach that 
gods and goddesses and humans are all just one expression of the same thing, but you'll have, um, you know, a, a goddess of like destruction, a god of creation. And so you may have been seeing an aspect of God that was seemingly insane, you know, in the way that it was just creating and creating and creating. And then the Akashic record dimension may just be another aspect of God that is very focused on structure and order. Um, and I think that when you think of God, I think that you have to make room for every experience of God that there is, you know, because God is not human. Do you think we're capable of understanding God and putting it into words? Hmm. I think that God is probably better experienced than expressed. How about the idea that God is love? Do you think that's just limited? I think that there's a, a truth to that because you, it takes a deeper understanding of what love actually is. Um, ancient cultures, I think uh, Greek culture came up with like different aspects of love, like brotherly love, romantic love, uh, you know, all those different sorts of like um, selfless love and whatnot. And I think that the more that we try to understand love outside of what we already know about it, allow it to evolve, then I think that at least in this universe, you could say that God is love. I do think that there are other universes outside of the one that we live in, and perhaps their God is not love. Um, it may be a completely different emotion or experience. Interesting. Have you encountered, well, in, in the Akashic Records, mm -hmm. would you be able to access information on the existence of extraterrestrials? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I um, go into the Akashic Record for is basically to pick up on your soul group. Um, the way I understand what a soul group is, is what are the energies and the frequencies that went into creating you? So for a lot of people, um, they're probably not that interested in spirituality, but they can be. They're their home frequency is like an earth frequency. And I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of like star seeds or star beings or, or whatnot, but yes, basically, yes, okay. Yeah. So um, the idea of like a star being, if you focus on like what the internet says is they feel that they had, that they are of a different race or of a different being. And, you know, they're waiting for their spaceship to take them home from my perspective in an Akashic record sort of a way, I would say that their souls part of their creation, like the energy of it, is more primarily found in a different star system. So let's just use the, the Pleiades for an example. Mm -hmm. If you are a someone who considers yourself to be a star being and someone who considers yourself to have um, to be a Pleiadian star seed, what that means from my perspective is that your soul was created with energies from the Pleiadian star system. So it's not that you're not human. It's that your perspectives, your beliefs, your understandings, your desires and wants come from and are shaped by an energy not typically found on earth. 
right? So when they um, encounter extraterrestrials or aliens from a star system that resonates more with them, they feel like they're home, right? Because it feels like they've met someone who's exactly like them. And they're not wrong in a certain extent, but it's still very important to focus on that. Like right now you're very human. So that's, um, that's how I see that. So when you do go into the Akashic records and you absolutely do get information on different star systems and different, um, you know, alien races and beings, that's actually a great place to go find that information. Hmm. Have I always been human? So this might not be a fun answer, but when I go into the Akashic records, what my guides have taught me is that when we think of an I as humans, so like I'll, I'll use me for an example, okay. Julia has only ever been Julia. I've never had another lifetime as a different human or as an alien. That would be a completely different me. So you have to go up just a little bit higher and think of your oversoul, okay. right? So if you were to think of um, creation, like God being at the very top, even though hierarchy is not a great way of explaining this, mm -hmm. but just for the sake of the argument, God is the, is the ultimate, the highest. And then from there, it sort of splits off. It splits its consciousness a little bit, right? And then it has oversouls and there are many of those. And then each individual oversoul has so many different lives going on at the same time. And if you were to say, oh, I, Julia was once Cleopatra, that wouldn't necessarily be true. From an oversoul perspective, it may be true. You go, you know, one or two steps higher mm -hmm. and you say, okay, well, from the oversoul perspective, I was. But sure. so, we're, so we're all part of like a larger part. Exactly. But so I've only ever been human. You have only ever been human. But if you're interested in tuning into like what a different lifetime is doing, even though you don't really need to be, then you can say, well, what's a Pleiadian me, so to say, doing? It just mm -hmm. um, requires you to adjust what your idea of a me or an I is. Hmm. Kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, it is, but I think it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how does all this become something practical that we can use in our everyday lives? Yeah. That's a good question. A lot of the times when people come to me um, for an Akashic record reading, oftentimes unconsciously, what they need and what they're doing is they're pulling from a different lifetime, so to say, and they're using that identity in their current life. And so that's when things get a little wonky, right? Because you could be living out pain and trauma that's not even necessarily yours. And that's where karma comes from. Right. So you're living your life, but you're like re-experiencing and perpetuating a lesson and a trauma that a completely different soul is having right now. Mm -hmm. So what I do is when I try and heal your connection to your soul and your record, I sort of quote unquote, close the book on that other life. And I help you unidentify as that other person or that other being so that we can refocus on who you are now. And when we refocus on who you are now, this ego experience that you're having, um, this personality or identity of you, who were you created to be? And then as soon as you start focusing on who you were created to be and what you're here to do, then you can start creating that like dream life, 
that you've always been looking for. So that's how it gets to be practical. So it's all really cool and like, and really interesting to know what's in the Akash, but basically it's to get you reacquainted with who you are mm -hmm. and why you are here and to help instill you with that sense of purpose. Okay. Um, so what is my purpose? Hmm. This I mean, is a great. I mean, I've yeah. always, I've always just wanted to be a pirate. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what I was talking a little bit before about what my guides had to try and teach me, and so one of the things for me was I, I was, you know, being trying to define myself by outside forces. You know, what do I? What should I do? Who should I be? Um, what's my purpose is essentially the question that I was asking. And what I was trying to get out of my guides is, you know, that, that answer, like, what, what is my purpose? What should I be doing with my life? And what they had to teach me was that the, your purpose in life is to be you. And I was like, that sounds like a cop out. Like, that's not the type of answer I'm looking for. Yeah, that's and so, exactly. That's what I was saying. And so what they had to teach me was, your purpose is to figure out how to express yourself in your life in all ways, right? So when you are doing something that doesn't fit you, that isn't in line with your energy, it's not going to feel good. It's going to feel bad. That's why when we're in a job or a career that we hate and we're so desperate to get out of, it's because it's not in line with who you are. So I'll take this for an example, um, nurses or teachers. Nurses or teachers are nurses and teachers because they're not only their job when they're on the clock, right? A teacher is a teacher even when they're not being paid to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. So it's it's easy for a teacher to find a job that fits them because it's a part of the current paradigm that we have. It's really easy to find. But it's important to note that a teacher enjoys the job of teaching because it's part of who they are. You know, it's just an energy that they always run. They just always enjoy doing it. So that's why they kept coming back to, what do you like to do? Who are you? What are the things that you enjoy? You know, that's why they would tell me like, well, you like learning and you like discovering things and you like being of service and you like, and I was like, okay, great. But what, what does that all add up to? And part of your job really is to figure that out and to keep honoring who you are. So every time you think that, you know, okay, great, this is a good fit. I like this. Um, every time that you finally, you feel like you get settled and everything is great and you're in your purpose, you, the universe starts asking you to expand within it. So that's why it's also so important to know what it is that you love and who who you are, because um, as soon as the universe asks you to step up, you have to be like, okay, how can I do more of this? What is the more that I want to do? Um, I had someone ask me about their purpose, and one of their things was um, basically they wanted to retire. And in order for them to do that, they needed to expand what they were already doing so that it could sort of run itself without so much of their input. And that wasn't necessarily the answer that they wanted to hear. They sort of just wanted to be able to leave it all behind. But I'm like, well, you can. 
But if you want to be able to support yourself, you sort of have to expand into a more leadership role where you're not so hands-on and you're a little bit more hands-off. Again, it's just an expansion of who you are. Mm -hmm. So if you're asking like, well, what's my purpose? What am I here to do? And I give you the answer of your purpose is to be you. It sounds like a bullshit answer because you you're like, well, I don't know how to define myself. Like, I don't know what that is. You know, so it, it seems as if like you're looking for a concrete answer and you're just not getting one. So, you know, a lot of the times I will give like a life purpose reading and sometimes it's very clear and very specific. It'll be like, oh, well, you're definitely a healer or while well, you're you're a teacher and you're really good at X, Y and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's not so clear because my guides really take a lot of a lot of time to focus on what are the qualities that make up who you are? And it's so important to spend time on focusing what that is so that when you finally get a handle on what it feels like to be you, you'll recognize it outside of yourself in say a career or a job or an opportunity, and then you'll know it's right. So, 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 so what do your guys have to say about my life purpose? Hmm. Um, honestly, it feels pretty good what you're doing right now. It feels as if you have a lot of energy going into expansion. You like digging, you like asking kind of like hard questions in search of answers. But what's important for you to realize is that you're doing it for you, right? And it's just helping everyone else who Mm -hmm. listens to this podcast. So there's also that element of service. Um, But you're really just doing it because it's a calling for you. Like, you're like, what is this? I want to know more about this. Um, Every time you feel that little urge, that's you following your purpose. And every time that you indulge in it, that's you expanding into your purpose. So a lot of the times that didn't seem like a concrete answer, right? Like I didn't tell you you were a teacher. I didn't tell you were a NASCAR driver. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell you you were a banker, you know? Um, But a lot of the times, way more often than you would think, your purpose doesn't fit into a box like that because our, our, our lives, our current paradigm is not set up, um, for people to be individuals. It's set up for people to fit into like cookie cutter kind of boxes. Why do I want to be a pirate? Oh, why do you want to be a pirate? It's the sense of adventure. It's the sense of exploration. It's the sense of going to places where no one else has gone before. Um, it's also the sense of mystery, isn't it? the sense of maybe I'll find something new. Maybe I'll go to new and exciting lands. Maybe I'll go to new places that I've never been before. Um, also, there's this sense of like mischief that I think really gets gets to you. Um, oh, yeah. that, that, that you're definitely, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that sense of mischief of, well, it's almost like, um, not necessarily poking a bear, but like when you were a kid and maybe like dad's falling asleep on the couch after Thanksgiving dinner and you poke him in the belly and then you run away kind of a thing, mm-hmm. like a sense of like poking at what might be perceived as authority um, so that you can figure out, well, what makes you special? Like what makes you the authority? Like what mm-hmm. makes God God? Um, I guess that's why I used to like to throw snowballs at cop cars. <laughs> yeah, that would be it. Yeah. <laughs> That was one of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> yeah, that's the pirate in you. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So how how do you get people to connect? Like I mean, I think like my opinion with like how you get like like you know like you can tell people read the records for them and you know give them some information. Um, but in your journey, you found out how to do it yourself. And I'm going to have to assume that it's probably important for you to teach people how they can do it for themselves also. Um, and I would also imagine that it's not always going to be the same for each individual. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you figure out what is the right way for an individual to connect um, in a way that's right for them? So what I, what I teach is for people to learn the rules, but then as soon as you learn them, be comfortable breaking them because you're right. That's like playing jazz. Yes. It's exactly what it is. It's so intuitive. It requires you to really have a real understanding of what the rhythm and the beat is and to be able to play within it. So the structure is given to you just so that you sort of understand what you may at any given moment be using. So when I talk about the clairs, you know, like clairvoyance, clairsentience, claircognizance, you know, all those, all those fun ones, um, it's just what you, what function you may be using at like any given moment. So if you have an image pop up in your mind, that's clairvoyance. But there's no rule in the book that says just because you experience clairvoyance one time, every time that you connect into the to the divine, it, you have to receive a clairvoyant image. Mm-hmm. That's not true, and that's not even realistic. Um, so you may get this set of rules, or you may learn meditation one way, but if that one way is not working for you, my God, do something different. You know, because you are such an individual, the way that you connect into the divine is going to be unique to you as well. Yes. Um, that's why you you'll see like mediums. I consider myself a medium as well because I work through guides, but I'm not typically a medium that connects into past loved ones. Like I'm I'm a medium that connects into guides. And if you have a past level and that's working as a guide for you, then I may pick up on them, but I may also pick up on interdimensionals or aliens, or I may pick up on angels or archangels or, um, gods and goddesses and ascended masters. Um, that's mediumship as well. I'm acting as a medium between one consciousness and another. Um, but if I was someone who was like, well, if I'm not Teresa Caputo, then I'm not a medium, then I would never have I would never get into what I'm doing. So to honor your individuality, um, because you were created to be an individual lens, right? The universe is looking through you in a specific way to figure out how to do things and who it is. Then the way that you're going to be able to connect to literally anyone else is going to be different. So um, I didn't necessarily do this completely alone. Um, I did have teachers. I do still have teachers because I like to learn, but I used what I was taught by those teachers who already had that experience to say, well, this is what works for me and this is what doesn't. And then it's like a constant process of keeping what works and throwing away what doesn't, mm-hmm. you know? So it, in, in that respect, it really is important for me to not necessarily 
make sure everyone knows that they can do this, especially if they don't want to. It's not in everybody's path. But to realize that you are just as able to connect into God as any other holy person or priest or, or pastor, y- you also have that connection. And right. so if, if you are looking to connect into God and the divine, just being alive, you have just as much of a right as anyone else to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about methodology? I mean, obviously, I mean, th- there's tons of different methods. You know, there's shamanic drumming, there's, there's drugs, there's meditation, there's isolation tanks, there's um, hanging upside down. Um, yeah. There, there, there's breathing techniques. There's people that that submerge themselves in ice water. Um, yeah. There's sun gazing. There, there's all kinds of techniques that people use. Um, how, how does a person? How do you figure out each person? What? How do you figure out what method's going to be best for each person? Like, do you just hand them like a list of all these different things and just say, "Hey, here, <laughs> try these," and just start crossing out the ones that don't work? Yeah. <laughs> That would be a long list. You'd be at that forever. Um, What I would recommend is trying to find the undercurrent of basically every methodology that you just explained to me, which was people are trying to get into altered states of consciousness, right? So if you can realize that that's really all that you're trying to do, but what's most fun for you? Is it more fun for you to, um, you know, stand on your head all day to alter your consciousness? Do you enjoy hypnotism? Does that seem fun to you? Does that seem most enjoyable to you? It's sort of like exercise, right? Like the best exercise for you is the one that you will continue to do. So for me, my methodology was I used meditation because that was what I was willing to commit to every day to better myself. And I accidentally got into spirituality from it. Um, I do work with a shaman. I do work. I did work with a medium. Um, I have all of these other people that I work with. And I think what most people you would find say, well, how did I, how did I fall into what I do and how I do it is they would say, well, it just felt right. It just felt fun. It just felt like I wasn't learning something, but in a way it sort of felt like I was remembering what I was doing. Um, And I think that it may not apply for if you're doing like herbal medicine or like um, ayahuasca, I'm not, well, unless you have um, past experience in like shamanism or whatnot. But I think a lot of the times when you're trying to figure out your methodology, you can um, start with the one that's most familiar to you. I think a lot of, of people right now are familiar with like astrology and then also witchcraft. And there are so many different aspects to that, that I would say, hey, if that calls to you, like go to the part that seems the most fun. You know, if you're really into like rising signs, learn everything that you can about rising signs. Or, you know, if you're really into crystals, get into crystals, get all the way into crystals. Maybe it's, you're really into Oracle cards, pick the Oracle deck that seems the most fun to you, you know? So that's how I would say. I would say don't necessarily feel like you have to cross everything off a list. You never will. Um, you can try, but um, that might be fun. Yeah, I was going to say, as soon as I said that, I'm like, you know, he might be trying. Um, <laughs> and so if that's fun for you, then awesome. But to realize that what you're doing, that whole I'm trying to cross everything off a list is also a methodology of getting into spirituality. But it's not necessarily one that um, has a label. You know, so be willing for your spirituality and your methodology to not have a label already. Mm -hmm. 
you know. Um, what is a soul blueprint? Hmm. A soul blueprint is the energetic impression of your creation. Basically, is what was your highest intentions for this lifetime? What were the goals that you set for yourself? What is the energy that you're made up of? That's a soul blueprint. It's basically the cheat code into who you are and what you're here to do. What if that is just to eat pizza and gossip? <laughs> it never is. <laughs> I've, uh, it never is? Yeah, it That's never is. Bummer. It never is. Yeah, I know, right? It, yeah, it's never um, my life purpose is to, to sit on the couch and, and eat ice cream. It's um, normally people, those are a bit of uh, distraction techniques the things that you just described. Mm -hmm. So if you find yourself on the couch eating a lot of pizza and watching a lot of TV and being like, what do I do? Like, is this just it? Um, it's not just it. You're here to do something. So um, normally what you'll find in a soul blueprint is, um, you know, what fills me with excitement? What am I here to do? Everyone has a purpose, everyone. Like no one's here on accident, right? So as soon as you tap into your blueprint and it may be a little harder. Like if I were to tap into my own blueprint, I was always like, well, that doesn't seem clear. Um, I think it was Alan Watts who said that trying to define yourself is like trying to bite your own teeth. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's, he's totally right. Isn't it? Like, it's so yeah. much harder for you to say, well, let me tell you who I am than it is for someone to be like, well, this is how I see you. And they have such a, a distinct way of putting it. Um, the nice thing about a soul blueprint, though, is that it's a multidimensional understanding of who you are. And when someone else just defines you based on their own experience, they're only getting a one-dimensional understanding of who they are. They're only knowing you from one perspective. But when you get into uh, your soul blueprint, it's it's a way more integrated kind of process. So you'll you'll get like a 360 understanding of who you are. Hmm. I really need that. <laughs> it's fun. It really is. To tap into your blueprint is to sort of like get your fire back. You sort of go, oh yeah, that's who I am. That's what I'm here to do. Like I, that's right. And a lot of the times it's just sort of a process of validation that everything that I am, I am for a reason. I am for a purpose. And a lot of the times what we have a hard time doing is putting it into context and, you know, giving a reason for what it is that you do, because you may say, well, I just really like to sit on a couch and read Nancy Drew books all day. It's like, well, have you possibly ever considered, you know, like being a detective? I don't know. You know, maybe you really like that. And maybe you're trying to explore that aspect of who you are through that methodology, so to say. So or you it's could become cool. a couch salesperson. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you could just be sampling the product. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I had a question. I just, oh, this always happens to me. I always forget what I, I was going to say next. <laughs> and um, so, hmm. Ah, I really just went blank big time you know, this time. You know, you know what's funny is I, I also host my own podcast. And I'll do that same thing too. 
where it's like what I was going to say completely left my mind. And to me, what that means is that um, my guides are saying, forget what you were going to say and ask the question that we want to ask. So maybe if you like clear your mind and just open your mouth and start saying anything, you'll channel. Why do you have a podcast? I have a podcast because I like to explore the world through what it's like for other people to claim their inner authority. So I really focus on in my work, how to get people to own who they are. So a lot of the times I will interview other spiritual practitioners and I'll say, well, how did you get to this point? And how does your work help other people be themselves? Mm -hmm. And um, that's, that's fun for me. How often do you put out your podcast? I put one out once a week. Um, it's called Becoming Divine. I put it out once a week. I also do this fun podcast with my dad called The Dadcast, who he interviews me from the perspective of someone who has no idea what I do and why I do it. And so he asks me really interesting questions that maybe uh, like a, a layman would have no idea, you know. We'd be like, what's what's a medium? Like, why do you do it? What's the Akashic Records? So that's fun. Do people ever think you're crazy when you tell them what you do? You know, I used to really, really worry about that because I used to think that I was a little, like I was afraid to believe what I did. Um, and I'm sure that there are people out there who think I'm nuts, but I, there's just nothing I can do about that. If they're not at a, at a spot where they're ready to suspend disbelief, then I, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't let that hold me back, mm -hmm. you know? Now I remember how I was going to ask, um, mm -hmm. how much it is, has to do with really learning how to trust your own intuition. Yeah, very much so. It's almost the cornerstone. Right. of my work and getting into your blueprint. Um, learning to trust your own intuition is learning to trust your own knowing of who you are. So I find very frequently, not necessarily all the time, but the majority of the time I would, I'd be so bold as to say is that when you're a kid, right? No one has necessarily told you who you can and can't be yet. So you're just in this state really of kind of like pure consciousness. You're just being, especially if you were raised in sort of like a, a harmonious kind of a home, um, there's, there's no discord for you to pick up on yet. But when you are just in that state of being who you are, it just comes naturally to you to be yourself. And it's as we sort of grow up and we realize that not everybody is exactly who I am and people are different and, Oh, I feel like I don't fit in. And maybe I should act differently that we lose the connection with ourself and we stop paying attention to that consciousness and that intuition and, and listen to who we are. So I, my work is really to sort of get people, not regress people, obviously, but get people back to that point where they felt so confident in who they were and who they knew themselves to be. And a really great way to do that is to trust your own intuition. Because when you can't trust your own intuition about anything, you're not going to trust yourself when you have a nudge on something. You're going to, you know, as I said earlier, you're going to look for outside sources 
to validate that for you. You're going to go to like a friend or a family member or society or whoever your spiritual leader is and ask for their permission and their validation to do something, um, which is which is not really what you're, you, you may think that's what you're looking for, but really what you're looking for is for you to validate yourself. So yeah, I would say it's, it's the cornerstone of that. Are you married and have kids? No. Mm-mm. I would be scared to have somebody like you as a parent because you'd be able to read <laughs> my mind and know what I'm up to. And the same thing as a wife, you know, I'd be like, hmm. <laughs> I, do, um, do you find that ever like an issue? Like, like, does like, yeah, I don't know. She'll just no. know everything about me. I'll, I'm not going there. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, I, you gave me, when you asked me those questions, you gave me permission to read you. Mm-hmm. I don't walk down the street getting into people's energy all the time. One, because that would be exhausting for me as the person who's doing it. And two, it's a really gross violation of someone's sovereignty and their privacy. So I really make an effort. To, I don't really even read my own family mm-hmm. unless they ask me to. And they have to be really explicit about it. Like I've really trained myself not to pay attention to other people's, you know, problems, unless they directly come to me and say, Hey, I want your help on this. And I say, okay, let's, so, let's so I, I still, I, I would partially believe that if I can't imagine <laughs> you going on a date with somebody, like it's your first time you meet them yeah. and not taking a peek. Although doesn't everyone on some level do that? Uh, answering the question with the question. Yeah. <laughs> misdirection although to be honest though that's a really good example like if you're meeting someone for the first time or if you're going on a date with someone that's absolutely just a a front and a cover to get a read for someone indeed it is yeah so that's absolutely even if you don't consider yourself even if you don't do what i do for a living you're reading their energy you're figuring out what they're what they're about and what they're doing and so you know, I may be someone who like validates my own intuition more. And so I, I give value and credence to it, but you do that too. Everyone does that. That is definitely true. I have to agree. Anytime you, you meet somebody for the first time, I think we all read each other's energy to try to assess the other person. Yeah. Yeah. Unconsciously, we're not aware of it probably, but we all do it. Yeah. And I I would say the only difference between, besides study, a professional and um, someone who doesn't necessarily consider themselves a professional in what I do is that they just don't validate that that's what they're doing, right? They might say that, oh, I'm a terrible judge of character. I don't ever pay attention to any of that. But I would challenge that. And I would say that you probably have got these things running in the background Like you're probably just always assessing people, but whether or not you value it or whether or not you immediately throw away that information is just nonsense is, is probably the difference there. So I, I, I do, I'm actually my mom to talk about her. She's someone who thinks that she's a terrible judge of character. Mm -hmm. Like I have a terrible intuition. I never know, but she's constantly calling me out on my own stuff you know, and to be like, well, why do you do that? Is it because of this? And I'm like, okay, lady who thinks she has no intuition, like get out of my business, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, we're all doing it. It's, it's so, it's so natural to us that when we, 
And this is another thing that I like to harp on when I teach is that intuition is so ingrained into who we are that we overlook it. When you have a spiritual experience, it's probably just something that you've been doing your entire life, but you just never acknowledged it for what it is. I don't know if you've ever sat down to dinner with someone or like a friend and they're going through something and somehow you give them this incredible advice you probably have no qualifications to give them, but it's the right thing to say at the right time. And I would tell you that you're probably pass passing on a message to that person from their guides. And that's what that is. But you've just done it your whole life and you just think you're good at giving people advice. And so you, you brush that off and you don't call a spade a spade, right? But you just right. say, oh, I, I just have a knack for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I've lived... I mean, I, I rely on my intuition all the time and completely trust yeah. it. You know, for me, I, I always kind of use that over even logic. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things I was just popping, uh, thinking about, though, like, and, and it, um, like I'm sort of like a notorious sort of storyteller. Mm -hmm. Like I told, I'll tell people, like, you know, just just crazy lies to see what how they react, <laughs> and, and, and people will always believe them mm -hmm. and i think one of the things that i do though and the reason I, I do it so well is i am able to change my energy enough yeah. so when people try to read me they're reading a false energy mm -hmm. yeah is, is that possible like the yes. mask like the hide like to be able to manipulate your energy so people cannot actually see the truth? Yes. Yeah. Actually, I was just talking about this with a friend the other day. She's an actor and um, she was actually getting a reading from like a, a fellow medium or an intuitive and the intuitive was reading the character. She had gone so deep into character that her and she had developed a backstory for the character, like friends, relatives, a profession, what, you know, her problem, her problems, her struggles. And my, my friend was like, this person's not picking up anything about me. And then eventually she realized, oh, she's reading this character that I had made up. <laughs> and it's absolutely possible. So when you give your energy and your um, like validation to uh, like basically you're making something up right it, it doesn't mean that it's not real right so i also have a teacher who says that there's no such thing as imagination mm -hmm. it's not to say that you don't have an inner experience in your mind but we as humans think that when we say something oh you just made that up in your head like it's it's all in your imagination so that means that it's not something that's actually happening but in some energetic plane of existence, you have conjured this, you've put energy into it. And so energetically it exists. And so it's, it's absolutely possible for people to be paying attention to like the front that you're giving them because you're presenting something real energetically, but you know that you, you're just, you just made that up on the spot. That is pretty cool. Isn't it? I find that fascinating. That is yeah. really neat. You think that's something that could be taught or is that something that people can only kind of discover themselves? 
I, oh, that's an interesting question. I think that it can be taught in the way that we're talking about it, but I think as with sort of kind of like all things, spirituality and consciousness, it's best if like personally experienced. So how do you feel about religion? I actually um, come from a background of Catholicism. Me too. And I can't necessarily sing it praises. Um, I do think it was good for helping me realize that I actually have a real interest in like religion and spirituality. And it also did help me figure out what I didn't like about the current paradigm, right? I don't like the idea that women can't um, you know, connect in the, into the divine. I don't like the idea that there's only one person I can go to, to um, help me for spiritual insight. It never struck me as right. I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. But I think as a whole, religion tends to focus too much on dogma, too much on um, ritual, and it tends to be very problem-focused and not so much solution-focused. I think a lot of the times religion, and I'll just, I'll just um, you know, poke fun at Catholicism because I come from that background. A lot of the times the solution is only possible because first they have to sell you that on the idea that you're a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's that idea of like original sin in Catholicism that you need to be atoning for basically for the rest of your life, right? Um, I know that baptism is supposed to absolve you from it, but you will can go through life and continuously be picking up on sins. So then you have to be continuously asking for salvation and forgiveness. So, um, I think when you get into that trap, religion's not really helpful, when you get into the um, constantly have someone else save me sort of a thing, I think then that's when we get into trouble. I think we also get into trouble when we look at religion and say, my religion is only valid if everyone else believes what I believe. And then we get into conflict and, and whatnot. I think that if you can actually come from religion in sort of a spiritual kind of a way where you just say, this is personal to me, um, then I think it can be useful but i think generally we interact with religion in a way that's not healthy i i i mean i will say like i probably knew i was going to go to hell at age four <laughs> yeah well that's catholic guilt for you <laughs> <laughs> but 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 at, at the same time um I mean, Catholicism is like the one religion, like if I were to ever go to church, it would be probably Catholicism because mm-hmm. there's order and structure to it. Um, right. Especially like where I, where I live, there's a lot of like um, these non-denominational places mm-hmm. where it's just some guy who got a certificate on the internet spouting mm-hmm. all kinds of craziness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so at least there is some structure there. You know, yeah. with Catholicism, but I'm still not really big on going to hell. So, one of the things that helped deconstruct religion for me and the idea of hell is that I, I came to an understanding that hell is is really just you can go to hell when you're alive, right? So, I dealt with depression and anxiety kind of really bad for a couple of years. And I realized that I had completely lost my fear of hell because I was already in it. 
And um, I also realized that it was possible for me to get out of hell because I, I no longer struggle with depression and anxiety like I used to. So for me, I understood hell as a state of, of being and no one really, no outside force put me there. God didn't put me there. I was not doing myself any favors and I kind of put myself there. Um, and so when I kind of lost that fear of judgment and damnation, then I was sort of like, well, why am I, what am I worried about? Like, why am I doing this? Like, why do I follow this? And um, yeah, I, I would say that that's sort of what deconstructed it for me. Now you were talking about um, people getting like online certifications. I also think one of the traps that like religion falls into and, and the way that we interact with it is we use it for power. Like we use it to gain power um, than we do to, to like actually genuinely connect in spiritually. Um, and when I, when I see people like joining these like mega churches and whatnot, That's I don't huge know here. yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. So I when Alabama, I, see people, so. oh, okay. Yep. I get you. When, when I see a bunch of those mega churches, I just sort of see a bunch of people giving their authority to someone else mm -hmm. and to lead them and to guide them. And to me, that's, that's a little risky. That's a little dangerous. Um, it's well within your choice and your free will to do that. Um, but I think that you have to realize that the person you're giving all that like blessing and adulation to is just a fellow human like you. And there's nothing more special about them than there is about you. Um, and so that's that I think probably more contemporarily is, is where we kind of screw up with religion. I think it, in some cases, if you're careful with it, it can be a useful tool, but I think a lot of the times we misuse it. So how do you feel about what's happening today, right now, with them storming the Capitol? Oh, good Lord. I, um, so... I mean, I was, I, like, I'm going to be yeah. honest, before the episode, I'm sitting there watching the TV, and, yeah. I was, and I was a little upset by it, and I was like, man, mm -hmm. this isn't good, you know? And, yeah. And, and now I have to, you know, I, I've, I mean, I've been actually, I'm not like a hardcore survivalist or anything, but I've kind of saw this coming, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so you know, I've bought some guns and the gas masks and, and, and stuff that I might need in, in case there was a civil war, hoping that I would never need it. Right. And then I'm watching this on TV and I'm like, oh, how am I going to jump on the microphone and do a normal interview? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I hear you. I, I was watching it literally right before we came on and I was wondering if we were going to address it. I'm kind of glad that we did. Um, the way that I feel about it. So actually what I did before the election is I actually went into the Akash and I went into my guides in the Akashic records. And I was like, one way or the other, I just need to know like what timeline are we on? Are we on a Biden timeline? Are we on a Trump timeline? I just need to know how to cope. And they were like, you're on a Joe Biden timeline. And so I uh, questioned it for a good long while, um, but I saw the results in front of me. Um, and what I think, how I view this is Joe Biden, it's inevitable. The elected president will be the elected president. And what's happening right now in um, Congress is everyone else just throwing a temper tantrum and not wanting to accept what it is. So from that perspective, I 
can get angry and I can get frustrated and I can get, you know, like, it's just not cool. It's not okay what they're doing, you know, but the will of everyone else is so much more powerful than the will of just the 500 or whatever people that are there right now. And so they're attempting a coup and I don't believe it will succeed. But um, to me, like, if I read the energy of those people there, um, they're just like, it's a last ditch effort. What I was actually, I was actually talking with my family about this before. And I was like, they remind me of like a bunch of teenagers who've like broken into the principal's office and are just trying to TP everything. That's the vibe off them that I get. Like, I don't, they're unorganized. I don't necessarily think that they have a central mission. They're just trying to burn off some steam. Hmm. Well, hopefully it doesn't end in too much death. I, um, honestly, if I'm, if I'm going to be real, I don't see it going that way. I think that no matter what they do on, on the timeline that they've chosen, that we've all chosen, um, the, the will of the people will, will speak. And whether or not you're someone who believes in the validity of the election system, full disclosure, I'm someone who believes that the election was legitimate. Um, I didn't vote for Trump. That's, that's not my gig. I'm very much about like, you know, I, I I was never on board with anything that he did. That's just not part of my ethics and, and um, how I honor people. But I, I do think that we will eventually get to a point of healing and of understanding. And I personally don't see us devolving into a full-blown civil war, at least not yet. It's reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. Like me personally, I, I don't vote because I don't want to pick sides. That's mm-hmm. fine politics in general decise, divisive I guess okay. would be the word so I don't like to have to choose a side and and I like I just want to like everybody you know I don't really want to have to worry about what a person thinks or believes I just want to I just want to hang out eat pizza and gossip <laughs> <laughs> eat pizza and gossip you know I think I vote because it's the way that I choose the reality yeah. that I want to experience, you know? Yeah, that's cool. I'm totally cool with people mm-hmm. that do their thing, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Um, but but this, this episode probably won't be out for about two weeks. So by then, we will know how all this turned out and whether your yeah. prediction is correct. Yeah, I'm feeling good about it. I so. got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so, so before we wrap this up, where can my listeners find you? Yeah, you can find me at divinerealignment.com. Um, I'm also on YouTube by the same name. I am also on Instagram and Facebook by the same name. So I'm, I'm pretty consistent across the board on how to find me. Interesting. Great. Oh, I had one other question, actually. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that you had depression and and anxiety and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Um, Do you take medication? I didn't. Um, I was actually someone who was too afraid to actually go to someone else to like a therapist to help me out. So I am not, I don't have an official diagnosis, but I know that when you wake up in a cold sweat, 
and didn't get any sleep the night before and are constantly worried about what's happening to you and mm -hmm. can never get to work on time or, True. you know, clean the kitchen. Mm -hmm. That's depression and anxiety, right? Oh, so, yeah. um, well, I, I, I don't have any problem if someone decides to take medication for what they're, they're going through, but I didn't because I couldn't get myself to trust anyone uh, to handle me with care. Yeah. So what I did is, is I, as a last, last ditch kind of effort was I went into meditation and um, I sort of, I sort of like dealt with the situation that sort of triggered everything that way and how I related to the situation and how I related to myself and sort of getting into consciousness was what um, was that was what helped me get a grip on everything. Hmm. So, mm -hmm. so, so that the anxiety and the depression was a, a catalyst for your spiritual awakening. Yeah, it was absolutely. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, it's great that you've dealt with it in such a positive way. And now you're using it to help other people. Yeah, well, you know, it, it sort of makes not necessarily everything worth it, but it sort of puts everything into perspective. You know, it, it gives me the idea that nothing you go through is wasted. Everything is something that you can learn from and everything is something that you can integrate into who you are. Um, so for that, I, I'm, I'm grateful for everything that I went through. That's great. It's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, so just hang on one moment. And uh, thank you for being on. And hang on one moment. And I'm going to play the outro and we'll wrap it up. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.